I'm George Comedy, and you're listening to First Watch. Last week, we had the privilege to fly out to Las Vegas to take in the Black Hat experience. And I also thought this was a good time to connect in real life with some cybersecurity leaders that I've connected with either on LinkedIn or through Clubhouse. And so I was very fortunate to connect with David Cass, the VP of Cyber and IT Risk at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Before that, Cass was the CISO for Cloud at IBM. He regularly attends Black Hat and DEF CON to learn about the latest threats, and he also keynotes. So I wanted to see what we could learn from David. David Cass, welcome to the First Watch podcast. It's a great pleasure to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, you're here. We're at Black Hat, and I know you're going to keynote at DEF CON. Um, but before we get started, I want to give you the, the space to, um, to issue the disclaimer that you need to. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. I'm David Cass. I'm the Vice President of Cyber and IT Risk for the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. However, any opinion I express today is mine and mine alone and doesn't represent that of the Federal Reserve System or the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we originally connected via Clubhouse and you moderate with uh, Tomas Maldonado and a handful of others, the fireside chats on Tuesday, which I have found to be of great value. I've actually told people here, like for cybersecurity as a community, Clubhouse has proven to be very authentic to me. You know, I think you can't really fake your way through it. You can't curate your content. Um, but yeah, so I appreciate the chance to meet in real life. Um, so why don't we get started with a little bit of background? You have a pretty storied career in the in the private sector, and we'll sort of talk about the transition to the public sector. But yeah, how how did you get started with uh, cybersecurity? I find everyone's got a kind of circuitous path into it. Sure. I think it probably a little bit of serendipity at the time. Mm-hmm. It was a matter of, you know, socks was coming out and everything else. I was heavily IT oriented at the time. And then with, you know, socks and some of the other regulatory requirements coming out, there was really starting to be a, a much bigger need for like formalizing mm-hmm. you know, cybersecurity programs at that point in time. And so that's when I kind of made the conscious decision that, Hey, this is going to be a big industry. Let me, you know, shift from general IT over into to cybersecurity from that perspective. About when was that? Oof. Uh, that was probably early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think you've also seen uh, the shift. You've been sort of on the ground floor for that shift from an IT environment, but now also into the cloud environment, right? Because as I understand it, you have some expertise in both AWS and Azure security. Yeah, no, it's... it's actually been really interesting to see that whole arc. Uh, there's certain commonalities that no matter how the tech changes, there's still mm-hmm. certain fundamental things that, that need to be addressed. But it's been very interesting, and I've been fortunate enough to be, you know, not only as the former cloud CISO for IBM, but having about, you know, good five-plus years of experience of helping uh, large organizations operate in AWS and Azure. Nice. Um, so how... Did the transition out of um, IBM and other private sector elements into the Fed system, how does that kind of change your risk management um, decision-making process? And also sort of broadly, how do you see the the difference between the two? Now, that's a great question. Kind of like with, I guess, each kind of career transition that I've made, it's always about, okay, what new can I learn? How can I round myself out? Mm -hmm. So... Going to the Fed gave me the opportunity to really look at it from the point of view of a real risk and regulatory perspective, whereas you know the benefit that I hopefully brought to them is having been the kind of owner-operator 
from that aspect of it. When you look at the regulatory aspects of it, where you have large institutions that want to adopt cloud, they want to adopt blockchain, they want to adopt AI and ML. So now, having been essentially the owner-operator in that space of the, the technical controls, the security controls, how do you do the monitoring, now I'm able to bring that perspective of what's good look like from that aspect of mm -hmm. it. And if you're a regulator, you know, what are the risks that you need to be looking for? What do you need to be thinking about? And that's kind of helped me round out you know, how I look at things now, especially from a regulatory point of view of does your organization ask the right questions you know, when you're moving to the cloud or adopting the new technology? Are you mounting the right challenge? You know, from that perspective, to to make sure that you're not just adopting technology for technology's sake. Yeah, especially when it comes to buzzwords like blockchain and AI, ML. Especially, yeah, we've found um, we haven't found, I guess, I would say challenges, but we do know that a lot of our financial service customers are challenged when it comes to the machine learning and things like that. It still has to exist in like an auditable environment. It's such a different space to execute in than, say, you know, like a consumer packaged goods company or something like that. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of all about, you know, when you're highly regulated, it's really about, you know, principles uh, mm -hmm. of safety and soundness as far as, you know, making sure that you don't have an untoward effect, especially when you talk about the financial system, how linked everybody is that, you know, one major failing at one large institution could cause a significant trickle-down effect. So it's really looking at uh, how do you adopt it from a safety and soundness point of view, whether that's cloud or whether it's blockchain or whether it's you know AI, and, and how do you do with transparency and visibility and, and demonstrate that you have a good understanding of not just the technology, but you know where are the risks for your organization? Uh, are there any gaps that mm -hmm. you, you see that maybe you need to fill with other products or services, or based on the business decision, uh, are you willing to accept those risks? Right. Um, so. That sounds very much like a, what do I want to say here, a coordinated and co collaborative effort. I think a lot of people consider the public and private in the financial sector to be almost adversarial. Um, how do you see the role of cooperation between regulators and, um, and the companies that are themselves regulated? So I think that's a great point. I think part of it is not necessarily an adversarial relationship. We want a good kind of partnering relationship. Mm -hmm. It's more, you know, the more transparent uh, institutions are about what they're doing, how they're thinking, you know, it makes it for an easier conversation. Because again, we're not there to tell you, no, you can't do something, you can't adopt that technology. But we want to see, you know, what's the thought process behind mm -hmm. it? Did you give it, you know, did you examine the risk properly? Uh, do you know how it's going to impact your operations? Do you know you know, how you'll recover if something bad happens from that, that perspective. So, you know, it's really about wanting to see the thoughtfulness behind it. Mm -hmm. And do you really fully understand the risks of that technology? You know, for instance, if it's, you know, AI and, you know, if you're a large organization and there's only one data scientist that can explain what's going on, it's maybe an early warning indicator <laughs> that, you know, from, from the aspect that we need to have some more conversations around that. So it's really looking at, you know, what's that process that, that, that you have in place for adopting a new technology? Uh, how are you going to do it from that safety and soundness or guidelines-based yeah. principles? Or, or how are you going to be able to explain the decision that the, quote, AI made? Right, well, exactly. So transparency, visibility, explainability, mm -hmm. you know, very important topics when you're, you're talking about financial services type sector. Yeah, and so I also want to turn our attention to the sort of active threat landscape. I think this came very much to the fore with the colonial pipeline issue, at least in the energy sector. 
Do you see also a need for more cooperation, public-private, on basically threat intelligence or just sharing information about risks um, in a way that you know can help us not just keep pace with it, but kind of stay ahead of, of those risks? So I think you know being able to share threat intelligence is very important. Mm-hmm. I think part of it, though, is there's first kind of fundamental steps that you have to look at of the do you have the good foundation of a good infosec program in general? I think financial services as a whole does a very good job of of sharing threat intelligence, but you're talking about you know an, an industry segment that's probably more advanced because mm-hmm. of the regulations and has bigger investment. But when you look at the ability to to share threat intelligence, there's tons of it out there. So you, part of it is you know looking at it, the maturity of the, the organization that you're in. You know, do you have means of being able to actually ingest that intelligence and mm-hmm. figure out what's going to be meaningful for your company? Because a lot of that requires a decent amount of automation around it because there's just so much yeah. intel coming in that if you had to look at it from a manual perspective of do I put manual rules in place, to it, it's going to be too late, mm-hmm. too much. Yeah. Um, and so I want to turn now to the cloud security side. So a lot of disruption to just the way... Um, People are working, not just banks, but basically every company on the planet. But I think the, the banks are maybe more sensitive. They at least grab the headlines, right? It's the Morgan Stanley is the JP Morgans of the world. Will they be hybrid? Will they come back to work? But I think it's very clear that the workforce change brought about by the pandemic really accelerated a lot of cloud uh, security needs. Um, what are your thoughts on how the workforce arrangements going forward are going to impact that? You know, because we've kind of gotten out of the perimeter model, basically. It's just evaporated. Yep. So, so I think a lot of it's been, you know, kind of like the pendulum swing. Everybody mm-hmm. ran to cloud very early on, like pre-pandemic. There were some visible lessons learned in that point of view of not having, you know, good security hygiene in place where things got exposed that shouldn't have gotten exposed. And, and I think during the pandemic, it kind of heightened the fact that, okay, there's more of a need to adopt this technology. I mean, the, the challenge with cloud is you know, almost every institution gets to cloud in a slightly different manner. Uh-huh. There is no like, you know, there's, no clear one, path. There, there's no playbook that works for everybody. Everybody gets there a little bit differently. But I think that, you know, definitely, you know, pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, now we're seeing a, you know, a wider adoption of these types of technologies. And it brings back, you know, some of the what's old is new again of the, you know, endpoint asset management, you know, zero trust type things. Now, all of a sudden, if you have a highly distributed workforce, uh, you have to kind of revisit these things to make sure that, okay, how has your information security program changed with the new landscape? So in other words, mm-hmm. if you had highly regulated individuals that had to get all of a sudden a work from home that had never been worked from home, how did you address the concerns that maybe there's heightened monitoring required, recording needs to be done if they're traders or things like that? So part of it is as you move to these new technologies, making sure that you adopt the new capabilities and expectations that uh, I guess a regulated work from home workforce would require. Yeah. Do you, do you see that adoption being in new talent? Like maybe there's new kinds of infosec officers you have to hire because they have different specialties or is that really the role of just upskilling constantly? So I think it's a, a mix of both. And if you're going to stay in infosec, you need to stay current, right. uh, number one. But I think part of it is, you know, making sure that, you know, just like, you know, moving to cloud kind of brought DevOps, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that you re-examine your own security teams and figure out, okay, well, where do I need to skill? Uh, because when you look at traditional infrastructure security teams, they're great with appliances, usually great with ACLs, great with DNS, but now all of a sudden, 
moving to the cloud means infrastructure as code. So now all of a sudden, maybe they need to learn JSON. Maybe they mm -hmm. need to learn other forms of scripting. So part of it is kind of re-examining your teams and you know, looking at it as you adopt these new technologies, where do you need to upskill your InfoSec team? So it's not necessarily just bringing new talent from the outside, because a lot of it, you have great corporate culture, knowledge of the organization. So you want to make sure that you can kind of bring those people on the journey as well. As a former CISO, how were you, uh, one, I guess it's a two-part question, how were you sort of making sure that you were staying current? And then how did you, did you create space for your officers and uh, direct reports to also gain that time and, and pursue what they thought, you know, the landscape was shifting toward? So I think part of it is as you design, you know, the security strategy that's lined up with the, the IT strategies, looking at, you know, what segments of new technology you're taking on, you know, where's the threat landscape going? So you kind of help guide the education mm -hmm. of where you want your teams to focus. And even from a, a regulatory perspective, as, you know, these things get set pretty far in advance, it's kind of how do you, you know, what threats and what areas do you want your teams to start focusing on upskilling and investing, whether it's sending them to conferences, bringing the training in, uh, and making sure they have time to kind of renew their certifications and keep things up to date. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so I, I want to turn to some other efforts outside of the professional sphere. I know that you helped co-found the Global Cyber Institute. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I, really, it's about, you know, how do you kind of maintain training and maintain mm -hmm. education? And, you know, from, from that point of view, uh, part of that aspect is really focused on how do you do like the exec education point of view, not just the education of the cybersecurity teams, mm -hmm. but when you see, you know, even prior to joining the Fed, there's a lot more regulatory requirements that are now speaking to the fact that the senior execs or the board need to have some kind of knowledge around InfoSec. So it's kind of yeah, how do you bridge that conversation from what's usually a highly technical conversation to transform it to, you know, what's it mean from an operational risk point of view? How do you convey the right message to the board? How do you convey the right messaging to the, the senior execs? And, you know, how do you kind of create that bridge of mutual understanding? So is, so in the Global Cyber Institute, is that like a program that others would enroll in? Is it attached to postgraduate so it, it is a, a non-for-profit where uh, people can get CPEs and things oh, nice. like that for it as well. Uh, I do teach as an adjunct for uh, Rutgers Law and for okay. Harvard as well, and those are different kinds of programs. So you know, really it's about, you know, I, I think as a CISO or even as a security professional, we kind of owe it to help bring up our industry. It's, you know, it's such a wide industry and there's such a need for talent. I think, you know, we, we need to do as much as we can to help bring in new talent and help bring people up. For sure. And you touched on that issue of speaking to the board, which has become a pet topic of this podcast since COVID, because I think the, I can't remember the exact stat, but the number of boards that had anyone sitting on them with either advanced technology or cybersecurity expertise was minimal. And then, you know, post COVID, entire organizations go remote they really saw the need to bring in former cios or whoever on the board have you have you also seen from your vantage point any kind of shift in the way um financial institutions are you know have that level of governance or that level of communication between the board and back so, so i think among financial institutions it's kind of understood mm -hmm. it, it, that that's a requirement and i think they do pretty well in those spaces when you look at it I think, you know, other industries now are getting on board, you know, when you look at like the, you 
know, critical infrastructure, public-private right. sector, things like that. It's it's a challenge from that aspect of it because again, you have you know organizations that need to to work together. Uh, things like you know when you have healthcare, mm-hmm. they have critical, highly sensitive information, but you know that's often an under-budgeted area when when you look at it from the point of view of the infosec budgets and ability to spend it's usually financial services has the the biggest budget and then there's other segments of industry that have either critical infrastructure or you know very sensitive information but they're you know working their way there and there's still challenge from either a budget perspective or how do you work with the different you know uh, different groups because when you look at i guess critical infrastructure in the u.s some of the big challenges there is most critical infrastructure is owned by the private sector in the mm-hmm. u.s whereas you look at other countries it's like a national, infra- exactly. Yeah. It's a national thing. So I think you know we're, we're seeing more and more cooperation, but it's still a challenge from that point of view of, of how do you get everybody together, how do you get that done, uh, and I think having boards that have a good understanding of at least where do you look, how do you think about it, and you know part of the board is you know help mount an effective challenge to the executive management team mm. of are you addressing the issues, are you what are you thinking about, or how do you think about these things? Yeah, or. Um I guess also how you define risk. Like I think risk took on uh, a very different meaning in terms of data security versus business risk, like operational risk. Can we turn the lights on, (laughs) you know? Um, So from your vantage point, I know ransomware is at, uh, to not belabor the term epidemic levels, but, are you seeing any other sort of high-level risks that are sort of on the radar? It doesn't have to be for financial institutions, but you, you run in a lot of security circles, so I imagine that you've heard what are the top worries of your colleagues. So I think you know, ransomware is definitely you know, here to stay, yes. at least for the near term for the next several years. And I think same thing with the very destructive attacks. Mm-hmm. So I think when you start thinking about it really – you know, you need to think about it in the construct of how resilient is your organization from a cyber perspective. When you look at it, you know, are the critical services well-defined across the organization and well-understood? It's kind of no longer moving, you know, thinking about things of what's the critical application or what's the database, what's the, you know, business continuity disaster recovery. You have to think of it more when you think about ransomware or these big destructive attacks of how do you really get your organization back and test from end to end? You know, from that point of view, that's why I think so many organizations wind up struggling uh, with ransomware from the perspective of when they've looked at it, okay, it takes four hours to recover this one database, eight hours to recover this service, nine hours, you know, ransomware takes out the whole system. Right. So you need to think of it as a, you know, where are your critical services and how do you become a, a resilient, a cyber resilient organization, not just business continuity aspects of it. So I think it forces organizations to rethink, you know, the, the whole resilience construct from that point of view. That's a that's a very good distinction about sort of long-term resilience versus I think the debate is usually sort of like a binary on off safe not safe you know attack stop defend um but yeah that's a that's a really good point um cool so uh here in Las Vegas um at Black Hat at Defcon what are you sort of most excited about what is sort of got you interested to come out here and, and work with uh, others and hear from others? What's the exciting research? So always interested in seeing, you know, what are the, the new potential attacks, the mm-hmm. new, you know, ways of you know, either organizations are adopting cloud, working with, you know, AI and ML and really looking at 
what's the, I guess, defensibility of these things? Too? Mm-hmm. As you've been adopting these new technologies, have they learned that there's new areas of weakness or new areas of opportunity to adopt these things? So really looking at it from the point of view of, you know, how's this threat landscape changed? Have I missed anything? Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are there whole new things of, you know, categories that I need to be looking at? Or does it go back to some of the basic constructs of, you know, it could be something as simple as, you know, do organizations revisit enough of their IAM to make sure it can federate with all these new, you know, services that they're taking on? So I think it's a, a combination of just staying on top of where, where are the threats moving? Uh, are there new attacks on, on the horizon? Right, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I think it was... Um it was actually a discussion. It was in one of the fireside chats on Clubhouse that Octavia said, you know, the the executives are asking me about the headlines today, but I am more worried about how do we not get popped tomorrow, right? It's the, the tug of war between the present versus the just over the horizon threats. Yeah, exactly. And it's always trying to figure out so how do you kind of future engineer because you always want to be looking you know, forward, mm-hmm. uh, and part of it is kind of building into as your organization is adopting those new technologies, rethinking of the, you know, how you know how am I meeting the needs from a security perspective now, but also as these new technologies are becoming more important to the company, what does that mean to me? Do I have the right level of visibility and right level of understanding? And then if not, how do I start addressing that before it becomes an issue? Yeah, and also maybe starting the conversation about the budget you're going to need. <laughs> Um, okay, great. Well, close to the last question here. How has the pandemic working model, the complete shift, how has that impacted um, the public sector the, at maybe the Fed or at other places? I, I feel like that's also been a missed transition. We've been focused largely on private enterprise, but surely it has also changed the nature of public yeah. So I think the interesting thing is it's, you know, we've demonstrated, you know, just like other companies have that you can effectively work from home. So you can effectively do examination work. You can, mm-hmm. you know, still, you know, conduct those meetings that are required to and get good insights from organizations. Uh, I think, you know, during the, the pandemic, a lot of communications between us and our regulated institutions have increased. We've had very good conversations, oh, good. you know, from that aspect of it. So I think you know, we've demonstrated, as other sectors have, that the work-from-home model can really work you know, from that aspect of it. Uh, I think you know, some of the challenges there, too, is you know, we've brought on new hires. I'm sure other organizations have brought on new hires that, you know, how do they get the, cor- the corporate yeah. culture? That's probably the biggest challenge of bringing somebody on remotely where they haven't had a chance to interact with people you know, within the office space. It makes it a little harder to figure out, well, what's the culture? How do you kind of get them embedded into how things work from that aspect of it? Yeah, I would say this trip is the first time I've met some of my coworkers, and the joke is that we all finally have legs. You know, we take up three-dimensional space. So, yeah, it's been it's been an interesting way to learn about people than than we would have traditionally. Um, great. Well, David, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy black hat schedule, and um, yeah, thanks for sharing your insights. Oh, thanks for having me. I definitely enjoyed the conversation. Absolutely. All right, we'll talk soon. That's it for First Watch today. A big thanks to our special guest, David Cass. First Watch is a production of Safeguard Cyber. It's produced by Chloe LeClaire with help from Phil Totora. Edited by Kai Crogetti with original music by Matthias Cefaletti. Subscribe to First Watch wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay safe, stay strong.